We're going to look at three more examples uh, here uh, listed in verse 32. Let's stand together, if we could, for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 32. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. We're going to look at those last three this evening. We looked at the first three last week, and we're going to continue our Bible study looking at faith's examples. And what did these six men have in common? Well, they were all, in one way or another, flawed. They were all flawed. God can use anyone, even those that have major, major flaws. Aren't you thankful for that this evening? That you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. That you don't have to have a pristine past for God to use you. That even if you have some skeletons in your closet, or you've blown it, or you have a major uh, a character flaw that's even evident right now, that God can still use you greatly. Amen? So let's jump in uh, this evening and let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to understand with our head, and Lord, be challenged in our heart to go forth... And, Lord, to live uh, what we hear this evening. Help us to be encouraged by the examples that are given. Lord, we'll see the strengths and weaknesses of some people. And, Lord, we'll probably be able to relate on many levels with these folks. And so, Lord, help us to leave here determined to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we began last week by looking at the first of the six names listed here. And I had told you in the introduction last week uh, that as I sat down to do the Bible study, I asked myself in my office, I said, what do these six guys have in common? I wrote their names out, and I opened up my Bible, and I read, and you know what? I ended up reading a good chunk of the book of Judges in order to be able to uh, get get a good idea of these guys. And I've read their stories before. And, and as a pastor, someone who is a, a student of the Word of God, I know these guys' stories. But I put down their six names, and I began to ask myself, why did God have these six names put together? And I came up with a couple of answers. One of them is that uh, they fall in chronological order. And this list from Abel all the way down uh, through David and Samuel is more or less in chronological order. That's one reason. But I believe another reason why these six names were lumped together is because these six guys had some major, major flaws that should have prevented them from doing something great for God, yet, because of their faith, they did something great anyway. How many here this evening will be honest and say, Pastor, if I uh, analyze my own life, I find things within my life that discourage me and make me feel as though God really can't or God really shouldn't use me in a mightily way. If you're with me this evening, would you raise your hand? Well, you know what? Then you fit the mold of verse 32. Well, we looked at Gideon. We began with Gideon. And we, what did we say that Gideon's flaw was? We said he lacked credibility. If you go back to Judges chapter 6, you find Gideon 
threshing wheat in uh, uh, down by a wine press, down in a valley, and he's hiding from the Midianites, and he's avoiding the the pressure uh, of the slavery that they're under, and he he's a little embittered in his spirit. How could God let this happen? And where is the God of our fathers? And what about all these stories they told us? And the Lord sends an angel, and really it's an Old Testament appearance of Christ, and this Christophany, this Christ being in the flesh comes and alongside of him is as though he's a normal man. And he says to Gideon, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon looks around and says, me, you're not. I'm no, no. Look, you got the wrong guy. I'm no mighty man of valor. He says, Gideon, I want you to lead my people uh, 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 up and I want you to have them attack uh, the Midianites and they have even hired an army to come alongside of them, the Amalekites, and I want you to lead the charge and overthrow them and so you all can have your independence again. And what did Gideon say? He said, I am least in my family. I am the least in my family. You know what he said? He said, I'm flawed. He said, I don't have the credibility to do anything great. You know, um, I know folks who refuse to ever teach a class. They refuse to ever help in a nursery, ladies. They refuse to usher. They refuse to help. They refuse to help on the bus route. They refuse to let God uh, use them to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what their excuse is? I'm not worthy. I I just couldn't. Uh, They hang their head low, and it's almost as though they're throwing themselves a pity party. Woe is me, I know my past, I can't do it. And and and, and the Lord told Gideon, He said, No, Gideon, quit looking at who you are, and look at who you can be. You may not have credibility in the eyes of man, but Gideon, you have credibility with me. And he led Gideon along, and what did Gideon do? Gideon was able to lead 300 men to overthrow an army so large they were innumerable. And God gave them the victory through Gideon. He lacked credibility, but he had faith. And in his faith, boy, God wrought a great victory. So we saw that Gideon lacked credibility. Then we moved on to Barak, and we said that Barak lacked courage. He lacked courage. We turned back to Judges chapter 4, and we found that the Israelites uh, were in captivity to Canaan, and, uh, and, and they had turned to a woman to be their prophetess leader. And Deborah sat under a tree, a palm tree, and the folks from Israel, when they had a dispute or they needed help with something that was perplexing to them, they would find their way to Deborah. And Deborah would sit there uh, almost like an old sage, and she would give advice and, and give spiritual counsel to, uh, to the people, and they lean on her to help during that time. Well, God spoke through Deborah and said, go get Barak and have Barak lead the armies and I'm going to give you all victory out of your captivity to Canaan. And so Barak comes along to, to Deborah and, and Deborah says, the Lord says you're to get with it. You're to go, uh, you're to go and lead the armies. And Barak says, oh, Deborah, I can't do it unless you hold my hand. I can't do it unless you come alongside and you are my Emotional and moral support. And Barak lacked the courage. And she said, no! Barak, man up and lead the charge. And he said, oh, I won't do it 
unless you'll, you'll mommy me, you'll help me. I'm adding a little bit to this, right? I might be reading between the lines a little bit, but that sure seems to be what it's saying here. So sure enough, Barak went with Deborah. Deborah went with Barak. And you know what? They won. They, they got the victory, but Jael ended up putting a, a tent spike through the head of the, um, of the general there of the, of the army of Cana, and I believe his name was Sisera. And so Barak lacked courage. But you know what Barak did have? He did have enough faith to go. Now he needed help, but he went. And you know what? Once the, once the war got going, it was him by himself chasing down Sisera. He had faith. And he had enough faith where God included him here in Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you tonight maybe lack courage. You ever felt intimidated to tell someone about Jesus? You ever went to reach in your pocket to get a gospel track and hand that to someone and thought, oh, I can't do that. What are they going to think about me? Oh, I can't do that. What if they decline? And you think, you know, Lord, I'm tired. I've had a long day at work. My kids have wore me out. My day at school has been difficult. I can't possibly tell someone about Jesus. You know what, Lord? Next time I'll do it. And you know what we lack? We lack courage. We lack courage. You may be someone who is a bold go-getter. There was a guy in Hagerstown that attended an area church. And a friend of mine used to attend that church. And my friend lacked a little bit of courage. His name was Johnny. And Johnny, at that stage of his life, lacked courage. The church he attended had a guy there who would fill the pulpit often. He was a church member. And the guy was six foot, six inches tall. The same height as my brother who preached Sunday morning, right? But the guy was like 350 pounds. And most of that was muscle. And he had a deep voice. And he'd walk up to Johnny, who was uh, probably about Pastor Morales' height, but skinny as a stick. And he'd say to Johnny, he'd say, You know what you need, Johnny? You need boldness. You need boldness. And Johnny said, yeah, I need boldness. Barak needed boldness. He needed courage. You know, some people, it just comes more natural for them than others. You may be one of those people where you lack the courage. God can still use you, but you must walk by faith. Then we looked at Samson, and we said that Samson lacked character. We looked at all the character flaws of Samson. He was a womanizer, and he was a rebel rouser, and he was... In a lot of ways, an immature little punk at times, okay, just to speak plain. And he ended up getting his eyes gouged out because uh, he got overconfident. But in the end of his life, his hair began to grow back, and he called out to the Lord, and the Lord gave him enough strength to pull the amphitheater down on top of himself. And while he killed himself, he also killed more Philistines, the enemies of the Lord, in his death than he did in his life. What a story. Samson lacked character, but yet he had enough faith for God to use him. Well, let's move on and look at our fourth character study tonight. Let's notice Jephthah. He lacked common sense. He lacked common sense. The story of Jephthah is just flat weird, okay? Turn over to Judges chapter number 11 with me, if you will, and look with me at verse number 1. The story gets an odd start here. Look at chapter 11. In verse number one, Matthew, could you run and get me a bottle of water? That'd be great. In the bookstore, behind the counter against the wall, there's a pack of them sitting there, little short bottles. Get one of those and bring them to me. I appreciate that. Chapter 11, verse number one. Look there. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, 
And he was the son of an harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Um, and Gilead's wife bare him sons. And his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Toh, and there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. Wow! So we see here that Jephthah's father was a little loose. He's sleeping around with women he had no business being with, and uh, through one of those illicit affairs, uh, a child is born to a to a harlot. The, uh, verse one uh, identifies the woman as a harlot, and so Jephthah and his brothers had the same father, but they did not have the same mother. And so as Jephthah grew up, his brothers just rejected him and threw him out of the family and said, "We disown you." We don't want to have anything to do with you. So Jephthah said, okay, forget you all. If you disown me, I disown you. And he left. But Jephthah had a strong suit. Jephthah had an area of strength. And Jephthah's area of strength was war. He was very good at the militant side. He was a mercenary of sorts. Uh, he, was a, he was very good at this. So the uh, Ammonites come along and they begin to persecute the Israelites. And so they call on Jephthah and say, Jephthah, come help us. Look with me, if you will, at uh, Judges chapter number 11. And look down and try to find, if you could, verse number 29. Verse number 29 says, and we're going to read down to verse 40, so make sure you follow along with me. Okay? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead, and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be, look here, look at, look at his vow, look at his vow, that whatsoever cometh forth out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, uh, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So here he is. He's got his troops gathered, and they're ready to go to war against Ammon. By the way, if you back up and, and, and read the whole story, he tries to send men in to be diplomatic. And uh, by the way, I believe where at all you can be, you should be diplomatic before you go to war. But di diplomacy was not working, and the Ammonites were very hostile toward them, and so they went, they're, now they're, they've got the soldiers lined up, and they're going to war, and so Jephthah, uh, in his haste, in his zeal, he looks up to the skies, and he says, Lord, if you'll give me the victory, when I get home to my house, whatever comes out of the door first, I will sacrifice as a burnt offering to you. Look at verse 32. So Jephthah passed over, unto the children of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hand, and he smote them from Ar Aror air, even uh, till thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah, look here, unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. 
And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes, that was a sign of mourning, and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which thou hast up which, which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and be well or mourn my virginity, I and my fellows, I and my friends. And he, Jephthah, said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vows which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the, Gilead, uh, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Here you have Jephthah, who's born into a dysfunctional home. He's kicked out of his house unfairly by his brethren. He becomes a mighty man of war on his own. His brothers get into trouble with the Ammonites, and the Ammonites are angry and ticked off and wanting to go to war with the Israelites, specifically the Gileadites. And so they call Jephthah back, and they make him their leader, and they, 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 they make amends with him, and here he is, he's all fired up and excited about going to war. His family has accepted him back and he's walking with God and he wants to do the right thing and he opens his mouth and he makes a vow and he says, God, whatever walks out my door, if you give us the victory, whatever walks out my door when I get back, I will sacrifice that to you. He's coming back into town with his army. Word has gone out ahead that they have been victorious and they've won. He, his daughter must have been standing in the doorway there, wait, waiting, just waiting for dad to get home, his only child. And he walks up the street, right down the road from his house, and out the door does not come a lamb. Out the door does not come a goat. Out the door does not fly a turtle dove. Out the door walks his daughter. And oh no, now he's made a vow with God. He pulls his daughter to the side and he explains to her what he has done to his own hurt. And his daughter says, if you made a vow to God, you must keep that vow, even if it means my life. So she goes into the mountains and she mourns the fact that she's never going to be a mother. She's never going to be someone's wife. She comes back and he sacrifices her. Jephthah lacks some common sense. You know, you keep reading the story of Jephthah. We, time does not allow to do, us to do it tonight. I encourage you to do it on your own. What you'll find is that God was not done with Jephthah. Even though he blew it, and he blew it big, God still used Jephthah to be uh, the judge over Israel for six more years. He would use him to settle an uprising with the Ephraimites, which was one of the tribes of Israel, and bring them back under into control. And he would judge wisely even. He would learn his lesson. But can we just all 
state the obvious right here. Jephthah, that was pretty dumb, what you did. Jephthah, you lacked common sense. You ever hit yourself upside the head and say, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Now, I don't think any of us have made a mistake that big, right? No one here has had to sacrifice a child, right? Amen? I sure hope not. But have we ever said something to our own hurt? Have you ever said something that really cut someone bad? And while the words were coming out, you wanted to catch them and put them back in your mouth because you knew you had really cut someone and hurt someone? Have you ever, in your zeal and excitement to do right, said something so extreme or taken an action so strong that only to feel the backlash later and realize, boy, my heart was in the right place, but I didn't go about it the right way. You know, Satan will sit on one shoulder and he'll convince you to do something super dumb. And then after you do it, he switches shoulders and whispers in your ear, you're an idiot. God could never use you. You are totally unworthy to do anything for God. You might as well just give up and not try. And I'm here to tell you that even if at times in your life, you, like Jephthah, have lacked common sense, you can still be used greatly by God. But you must walk by faith. Must walk by faith. Jephthah, while he was wrong, while he was wrong to... to, um, while he was wrong to, to do that, to put himself out there like that, you know what Jephthah was doing? He was fighting the enemy of the Lord. And he was doing that by faith. So we see Jephthah. He lacked common sense. Let's move on to our fifth character mentioned in Hebrews 11.32. And let's notice David. David. He lacked consistency. He lacked consistency. Boy, I don't know if there's anyone in the Bible where we have as much information on as David where we go, man, this guy, his faith is all over the map. His walk with God's all over the place. Man, David was hit the highest highs and the lowest lows. David, man, he accomplished some incredible things. And then David did some things where you're going, David, what are you doing? And he, he was either on fire for God or he was, he was just as cold as a cucumber. Not as cool as a cucumber. I think I mixed an, uh, an idiom there, but you have to forgive me. He, he was off. 1 Samuel 17, turn there. Here we find David is a shepherd boy. David is a shepherd boy. And he is um, keeping the sheep. And the Philistines rise up against the Israelites. King Saul is in charge. The era of the judges is over. The, Isra- the Israelites have demanded for a king. And so Samuel has uh, ordained uh, Saul, and Saul has been made king. And um, uh, the Israelites have now... Uh, are now facing a foe in the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines are camped on one hill, and the Israelites are camped on another hill, and there's a valley between the two of them. And every single day, like clockwork, uh, the giant named Goliath would come out. We all know the story of David and Goliath. He would come out in the middle of that valley, and he would say something of this nature, Fee, fi, fo, fum, I smell the blood of a Hebrew man. That's in the Hebrew. Amen? Give me a man to fight. And if I beat him, you'll be our slaves. And if he beats us, we'll be your slaves. And the Israelites would run and hide like a bunch of babies. 
I'm calling them a bunch of babies, but I wasn't there. Because I may have went and hid too, okay? I don't know. Because Goliath was one bad dude. Goliath was one strong man. He was a seasoned warrior. And to go mano y mano with Goliath was a, was a tough, tall challenge. And so David is sent by his father with some food to give to his brothers and to check up on them and see how they're doing. And while David is giving the food to his brethren, old Goliath comes out in the valley like clockwork, and he's cussing and, and, and speaking vain of the God of, Jehovah, God of Israel. And, and, and David, boy, he takes offense to that. And everyone else turned and ran... But David turned and looked at the giant and said, Hey, you big dummy! You want a piece of me? You're not going to talk about my God like that. And his brothers are grabbing him saying, Shh, shut up! You're going to get us hurt! Be quiet! And David said, Is there not a cause? That guy is talking bad about my God. The God that I love. The God that I worship. The God that I care about. And David made such a ruckus that they took him to King Saul. Now, he's just this pipsqueak little teenage boy. He's not a warrior. He doesn't have the muscle mass of an adult man. He's just a teenage boy. And he gets brought in before King Saul. And King Saul says, hey, you don't have a chance. In fact, if we were taking bets, I would probably put my money on Goliath and not on you. Again, that's in the Hebrew. Amen. And so, he, uh, he, uh, David says, listen, I have my God, and he will give me the victory. And so, David is sent out into the valley to go mano y mano with Goliath. Look at verse 38. And Saul armed David. First Samuel 17, verse 38. Saul, Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for uh, he had not proved it. He, he, he did not know these weapons. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off, uh, off him. And he took his staff, that's what he used as a shepherd, in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones uh, out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a script, even in a script, and his sling uh, was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on, and David, uh, and, and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about, the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, he hated him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. Look at the faith here. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, and of the, and of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hands, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts. 
beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose, and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and took thence a stone, and sling it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. You read on down, David takes Goliath's sword, and he chops his head off. Amen? And uh, my running joke is that if Instagram had been around back then, David would have gotten someone else to hold the other ear with him, and would have gotten a picture holding Goliath's head, and put that on Instagram. Amen? That would have been the post. But David brought the head of Goliath back and dropped it in front of Saul and said, that's what faith does. That's what faith does. Everyone's running from the giant. The giant comes at David, nine feet, nine inches tall, and David runs at him, takes a stone, puts it in the sling, and whaps him right in the forehead. You say, did God direct that stone? It's possible. But we know that David was a man that prepared. We know that David was a master with that sling. It's very possible that David had put in the preparation to be ready. And maybe David would have been off by just a little bit, and God, you know, kind of directed it on course there. I don't know. The Lord will let us all know all that in heaven. But David's faith saw that. Boy, David, I don't know anyone that has gone and, you know, had a, a, a spiritual victory like that. Right? That's pretty big. The first half of David's life, we know him by Goliath. The second half of David's life, we know him by who? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Oh, how he lacked consistency. David was a passionate lover. As long as he had his... His sights set on God. Boy, what does the Bible say about David? It says he was a man after what? God's own heart. Wouldn't you love to have that said about you by God? That you cared so much about God that you were after his heart. David's problem was that he would get his passion off of God and he would place his passion elsewhere. And boy, get him in trouble. We're going to skip the first Chronicles passage. I'll just quickly tell you, he numbered the people of God. He was told not to number the people of God, and he did it anyway. Why was it a sin for David to take a census of the Israelites? It was a sin because it was him and his pride. Look how big of a country I rule. Look how big I am. And he was told not to do it, and he did it anyway. But David had a seer or a prophet named Gad come to him and say, Look, David, you blew it. God's going to punish the country. You can choose option A, B, or C. You can find this in 1 Chronicles 21. And David said, I'd rather fall in the hands of a merciful God. David went and bought a field. The man tried to give it to him. He said, no, I must pay for it. He offered a burnt offering for the Lord. And he fell on his face and said, Lord, I blew it. You know what God did? God forgave him. And God stayed the 
death angel. And God ceased the punishment because of David's sin. Let's turn over to um, 1 Samuel chapter number 11. Let's look at uh, let's look at verse number 1. That should be 2 Samuel. That's my mistake. And so those of you at home watching online, I gave uh, our tech guy, Brother Joe, the wrong passage. So these verses will not be cued on your screen. You'll have to open a Bible. Ha! Get your Bible out. Amen? At home. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And look at me, with me at verse number 1. David now is older. He's been king for a while. We see that David's at the wrong place at the wrong time. It says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Where should have David been? Should have been at war. You know, you know why we end up falling into great sin oftentimes? Because we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, uh, if you're at church when the church doors are open, you know what you're not going to be doing? You're not going to be sinning. You know what you are going to be doing probably if you're not at church? You're going to be tempted to do something wrong. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. She came in unto him and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and sent, and told David, and said, I am with child. And David said to Joab, uh, sent to Joab, and Joab's his general, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. For sake of time, we'll pause the reading there for a moment. Jo- Uriah comes back. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. Uriah is one of David's elite uh, fighters. One of the mighty men of valor, one of the special forces. And here he's at war where David should have been. And David is fooling around with the man's wife. Shame on you, David. Where is your love for God? Where is your integrity? Boy, at this point, David, you've got four or five wives. You are a man that has much flock. And you're going to go take from a man who has one little ewe lamb. And you're going to consume it. And you're going to take advantage of it. And then you're going to kill the man who owned the ewe lamb. Nathan would later come and tell him that parable. And you know what? David thought, I have fooled around with her, and no one knows, except until the pregnancy test came back with the little stripes on it. Again, that's in the Hebrew. Amen? And and she says, David, I'm pregnant, and you're the only man I've been with. That child belongs to you. David says, okay, Uriah, come on home. Hey, Hey, Uriah, you're such a good warrior. Man, you're an awesome, elitist fighter. Why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife for a couple weeks, and we'll send you back to war. Uriah's like, you know what, I'm not going home. My, my, my brethren are on the battlefield. How can I enjoy my wife while my brethren are fighting? So he sleeps outside on the palace porch. He won't go home. 
So David brings him back in and says, hey, why don't you have a couple drinks with me? Tries to get him drunk. Uriah in his drunken state still won't go home because he's so valiant. So David writes a letter and, and sends it to Joab, closes it and seals it, knowing that Uriah is an honest man and will not open it. And the letter reads, put Uriah on the front lines and in the heat of the battle, pull everyone back but Uriah and let Uriah perish on the front lines. You know what we call that? We call that murder. Oh, David didn't take the sword and run Uriah through himself, but he might as well have. Isn't it amazing that David is found in the hall of faith? Isn't it amazing that he could do something so deplorable, but yet God would still consider him a man of faith? Two Sunday mornings ago, I preached out of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the prayer that David prayed after Nathan confronted him. You know what David did? He got his heart right with God. Turn over with me to 1 Kings chapter 2. By the way, to the young people listening this evening, we have several children in the room tonight. Can I speak to you for a moment? Really, if you're even under the age of 30, let me speak to you for a moment. Don't think that just because God forgives any and all sin, that that means you get to go out and live however you want. You can go do whatever you want. And God will forgive you. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have to live with a whole lot of heartache. Even inside God's forgiveness. Because while God might forgive you for doing wrong, that doesn't mean He won't punish you. What happened because David did this? Well... David's brother, or rather David's son, made some pretty big mistakes with his sister. And that ticked off another one of David's sons named Absalom. And Absalom rose up and he killed Amnon, the son that was fooling around. The sins of dad repeated themselves in in, in his children. And then Absalom would flee to his grandparents' house in another country. And years later he would come back and he would win over the people's hearts and then he would commit mutiny and run dad off his throne. And then there would be a civil war of sorts that would take place in Israel. Do you know why all of that happened? Because David fooled around with sin. Now, did God forgive David the moment he fell on his face and said he was sorry? Yes, he did. Will God forgive you when you mess up? Yes, he will. Does that mean you won't have to face the music for what you did or face the consequences? Oh, no, it doesn't. You know what I find is amazing in Psalm chapter 2 is that while David's being chased by Absalom, he says in chapter 2 that he laid himself down and slept. I don't know that I'd be able to do that if my son had overthrown my kingdom and uh, was trying to kill me. But he laid himself down and slept. You know why? Because he felt forgiveness from God. And he stayed faithful to the Lord. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2. Here we find David at the end of his life. He's on his deathbed. Look at verse 1. Now the days of David 
drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest uh, uh, prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, uh, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man of the throne of Israel. You know, David here is dying. And David, his last breath, you know what he did? He told his son Solomon, he said, Love the Lord thy God. Boy, David, he hit the peaks of faith. And he hit the doldrums of sin. He was up one, at one point in his life. And he was down the next. Boy, he, he was chased around by Saul in, in the wilderness. And yet he, he never gave up on God during those times. Then he numbered the people. He fooled around and messed with another man's wife. He... He was inconsistent. You know, as a pastor, I, um, one of my jobs is to know the flock of God. It's to know the struggles of those that go to church here. I don't mean have a confessional booth where you come in my office and tell me what you do is wrong. I, we don't have that here. That's, we're not a Catholic church. Amen? We believe in the priesthood of the believer. You go to God and confess your sins. But as the pastor, it is my job to make sure I know each one of the flock of God and the struggles they have, it is my job to try to help you and prepare you to stand before God one day and give an account of your life. Do you know what the number one struggle of the people of White Oak Baptist Church is? If I could name one struggle that permeates our church, and it's not just our church, it's most churches in America, here it is. Consistency. Consistency. It's Christians who get up and read their Bible every day. You know, most Christians don't do that. It's Christians who have a consistent prayer life. They, they pray uh, several times a day, and they have a block of time they pray every single day. You know, most Christians don't do that. It's Christians who are at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, every week. They don't miss. Most Christians don't do that. It's Christians who are nice to their husband or their wife or their parents or their brothers or sisters uh, all the time. Boy, most Christians don't do that. But you know something that's great? Is that if you lack consistency, God can still use you. Are you walking by faith tonight? One more character study, and this one will we'll, uh, we'll wrap up quickly here. Notice Samuel, he lacked control. He lacked control. Now... I really had to get nitpicky with Samuel. Because Samuel didn't have a lot of negative things said about him in the Bible. Well, one thing I have noticed is that um, we repeat what we grow up under. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Turn over there for me. 1 Samuel chapter number 2. You have to go backwards here. 1 Samuel chapter number 2. I got this one right, Brother Joe. Amen. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 18, Samuel has been given by Hannah, his mother, to serve the Lord in the temple. He's a young man. 
And boy, he is walking by faith in this temple. Look at verse number 18 with me of 1 Samuel chapter number 2. It says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. So now Eli is raising him, and he's growing up in the temple. And boy, was he a young man of faith. Really, Samuel was a man of faith his whole life. You all know the story where Samuel goes and he's just a child and he goes and lays down to sleep and uh, the Lord says, Samuel! And Samuel pops out of bed being the obedient young man he was and he runs into Eli's room and says, Hey, Pops, what you need? Again, Pops is in the Hebrew. Amen? And... He says, I didn't call you, boy. Go back to bed. And he says, I know I heard my name. And again, a second time, Samuel. And a third time, Samuel. And finally, Eli, you know, oh, the Lord's calling him. He said, the next time you hear your name called, speak up and say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And so he did. How special is that for a child to get to have an audible conversation with God? You know why God did that with Samuel? Because Samuel was a young man of great faith. Now, to the children here, God does not speak audibly to us anymore. So don't get your hopes up. Amen? That's not how it works anymore. But he did that for Samuel. Samuel would grow up to be a fine prophet, if not the the greatest prophet that Israel would ever have. I'd put him in that top tier, top two or three. But Samuel had one weakness. Turn over to chapter uh, number 8 with me. Turn over to chapter number 8. And look with me at verse number 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he commanded his sons... Judges over Israel. Now the names of the firstborn was Joel, which is a very, very spiritual name. The name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all of the nations. You know where Samuel's weakness was? You know what he lacked? He had no control over his kids. Boy, he was a man of integrity. His kids not so much. We have, some, uh, we have some parents in our church that have adult children that are not living for the Lord. You know what? I don't judge you not one bit. My children are still little and the story is still yet to be written with how they'll turn out. But even if my kids turn out great and yours don't, I'm going to chalk that up to the grace of God. Satan wants to whisper in your ear 
No, you're a horrible person because you didn't raise your kids right. He wants to make you think that God's done with you because your kids didn't turn out the way that you hoped they would. You know what? Samuel made it in the Hall of Faith. While he wasn't the greatest parent, he was a man of God. He served God with his whole heart. Which one is it for you tonight? Do you lack credibility? Do you lack courage? Maybe you have character that you lack. Maybe you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer like Jephthah and you lack some common sense. Maybe it's consistency like David. Maybe it's control like Samuel. But you know what? Please hear me. Some of you are really discouraged right now. Please hear what I'm about to say. It's never been about you anyway. It's always been about God. He uses the weak things to confound the mighty. He uses the simple to confound the wise. You know why God uses weak and simple people? Because He gets all the credit. Weak, simple people that walk by faith accomplish so much more than mighty, wise people who walk by sight. God wants all of you your blemishes and flaws. He wants all of it. And he wants to do something great with your life. But he can't until you yield it to him.